I'd like to read tonight from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And the title of my message is The Most Interesting Man in the World. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great grace toward us in this special night. Thank you for your son Jesus who braved the plunge, who dove into our mess in order to lift us out and clean us off and make us his own. Thank you for the hope we have in Jesus, and I pray that if there's a heart here tonight who doesn't know you, that tonight they would end their their inner loneliness, and that they would come to know you in reality and in, in truth. So work in our hearts tonight as we open up your word, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host. And they were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. If you've watched a sporting event in the last three years or so, you have probably seen the commercial featuring the most interesting man in the world. The ads, they spotlight an older, distinguished-looking gentleman with a foreign accent and a thick gray beard. He's a renaissance man, a world traveler. The ads speak of his adventurous life and his over-the-top exploits. Here are a few statements from the world's, about the world's most interesting man. Police often question him just because they find him interesting. If he were to mail a letter without postage, it would still get there. His personality is so magnetic, he's unable to carry credit cards. Every time he goes for a swim, dolphins appear. If he were to give you directions, you would never get lost, and you'd arrive at least five minutes early. He once had an awkward moment, just to see how it feels. His organ donor card also includes his beard. He's against cruelty to animals, but he isn't afraid to give them a stern warning. 
Sharks have a week dedicated to him. He is the most interesting man in the world. You've seen the commercials. You know the actor who plays the most interesting man? His name is Jonathan Goldsmith. And he says that his life is really not that interesting at all. That it's just a part that he plays. You see, the man in the commercial, he doesn't exist. He's just a myth. But on that first Christmas Eve, shepherds outside Bethlehem, they stumbled across the real deal. Before the day was done, they had followed their sources, and they had indeed met the most interesting man in the world. Imagine a quiet night. You're alone. You're sitting by your campfire. You're on a grassy slope way outside of town when suddenly just overhead, a grandstand appears in the sky. It's like having gone from deserted to a crowded football game. The seats are packed with angels, and they're shouting like it's fourth and one. Glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace, goodwill toward men. In a timeout, the angels tell the shepherds of a baby who's been born. He's good tidings, a savior. He's Christ or deliverer. He's Lord or king. These angels were sent to introduce the most interesting man in the world. And if they'd had a little more time, it might have sounded something like this. There we go. When he prays to God, he's also talking to himself. He doesn't wonder about life in other worlds. He's been there. As a child, he used to go into the temple to teach old men. He goes for long walks on water. He crashes funerals by bringing the corpse back to life. His words are so important when you print them, they come out in red. He made fishing look cool before deadliest catch came on TV. When he shows up for parties, people don't line up outside to be allowed in. They tear a hole in the roof and they come in themselves. When he throws a New Year's Eve party, he never serves one of those Chick-fil-A platters. He multiplies loaves and fish. When he was baptized, his friends from church didn't cheer for him. The God, the Father in heaven, gave an audible shout out. His idea of plastic surgery is to reattach an ear after a sword fight. He has never asked for advice, ever. When he rides by, you may experience an uncontrollable urge to rip palm fronds from your wife's house plants and throw them at his feet. He has given demons the swine flu. He once healed a woman without looking. He doesn't always drink wine, but when he does, he likes to miraculously make it out of a pitcher of water. Battle-hardened soldiers refer to him as the Son of God. People all over the world go to church on the night before his birthday. He calls dollar prayer to pick up his messages. He once felt tempted just because he could. He doesn't cry often, but when he does, people write it down. He invented many things, most notably the sun. When he got tired of the weather, he changed it. He is more famous than the Beatles. He once cleared out a whole building full of people with a whip. He always means what he says, always. Drink the water that he gives and you'll never be thirsty, my friends. Jesus is.
the most interesting man in the world. (laughs) And the world's most interesting man was introduced to ordinary men. No person on earth is as uninteresting as a shepherd. I mean, it takes little education or people skills or sophistication or hipness to lead sheep. And yet, though uninteresting themselves, they were interested in Jesus. After hearing the angelic news, the shepherds went to see for themselves. Luke reports they found the babe lying in a manger. After the visit, they bolted out into the countryside to make the news widely known. And verse 18 records the results. All those who heard it marveled. They marveled. People were fascinating. What they'd seen and heard stirred up speculation and possibility and intrigue. The news they heard fueled the fires of their imagination. It lit up their hopes and their dreams. It even revived their faith. Imagine the dullness of a shepherd's life, just clumps of grass and stupid sheep. The life of a shepherd is as boring as an artificial spruce. But the news about Jesus lit up their hearts like lights on a Christmas tree. Interest in Jesus refueled their vision for life. You see, everyone who met him marveled. And this continued to be the reaction to Jesus the rest of his life. When the baby was taken to the temple to be circumcised, you remember the old man Simeon. He held Jesus in his arms and said he could die in peace. He prayed, my eyes have seen your salvation, a light to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And what did Joseph and Mary do? The scripture says they marveled at those things which were spoken of him. When Jesus was 12, he and his family had gone to Jerusalem on holiday. It was the Passover. On the way home, the family got separated. And when his parents went back to find him, there he was in the temple teaching the teachers. Luke tells us all who heard him were astonished or they marveled. Once Jesus began his ministry, he went back to Nazareth and he spoke in his hometown synagogue. He wanted to reveal his intentions for his ministry. He said that day that the Spirit of God was upon him, that he'd come to preach good news to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, deliver the captives, give sight to the blind, even free the addicted. And guess how the people responded that day? The Scripture says they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. When Jesus calmed the storm, we're told the disciples marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? On another day, Jesus healed a lame man. When the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. On still another occasion, Jesus cast out a demon. And Matthew writes, the multitudes marveled saying, it was never seen like this in Israel. Matthew 15 sort of sums up a season of ministry for Jesus So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking and the maim made whole and the lame walking and the blind seeing and they glorified the God of Israel. Toward the end of his ministry, Jesus was in the temple and a a group of Judaism's finest minds were sent to attack him with tricky questions. They wanted to embarrass Jesus and discredit him. Instead, Jesus turned the tables on them. So much so, 
We're told when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. And even his enemies marveled at his answer and kept silent. Finally, the Jewish leaders, they showed their fangs. And they had Jesus arrested. He was mocked and beaten and humiliated. And then he was presented to the Roman governor for execution. But Pilate was so impressed with Jesus' inner strength, his composure, that we're told the governor marveled greatly. Even at the cross, when the sky went black, when it turned midnight at noonday, the earth began to quake under his feet. You remember that battle-scarred soldier, he marveled. Truly, this was the Son of God. Here's the point. What do you expect from the most interesting man in the world? Friends and foes alike couldn't dismiss Jesus. They could only marvel. I love Mark chapter 6. After seeing Jesus walk on the water and settle the storm, we're told that the disciples were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Now, how's that for a run-on description? They weren't just amazed. They were greatly amazed. And they weren't just greatly amazed as a group. This wasn't mass hysteria. Each of Jesus' disciples was greatly amazed in themselves. And they weren't just greatly amazed in themselves. They were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure. And they weren't just greatly amazed beyond measure, but they were greatly amazed beyond measure and marveled. There it is again. They marveled at Jesus. You know, the Greek word translated amazed there in Mark chapter 6, it means thrown out of position or, or thrown into wonderment. Did you know that an encounter with Jesus will do that to you? It'll throw you into wonderment. It'll take you off your game, you might say. Other ways of putting it, it rattles you. You're in awe after you meet Jesus. This is what Jesus does to a person. He stuns you, either with his power or his truth or his love. Here's a great word for it, discombobulate. That's what Jesus does to you. You're discombobulated. This is the effect he has on you when you meet him in a saving way. He upsets your status quo. Tough guys, bad dudes, they melt under the heat of his love. Timid types, they get emboldened. Proud people, they walk away humbled. Selfish folks suddenly want to give away the farm. The self-sufficient, they suddenly realize how desperate they need him. You see, Jesus just turns you around. One minute all you're interested in is looking out for number one. The next moment only all you want to do is live for Jesus. The most interesting man in the world has that kind of an impact on a person. He's disarming. He cuts through the thickest defenses. He gets under your skin. He puts new longings in your heart. He gives you new purpose. Last February, a story appeared in the New York Times about research that was being done by sociologists at the University of Pennsylvania. They wanted to answer the question, do people prefer to spread good news or bad news? The proverbial assumption is that bad news travels fast. Yet that wasn't what the University of Pennsylvania researchers discovered. Here's what they did. Every 15 minutes for six months, they monitored the New York Times list of most emailed articles. 
news reports that people wanted to forward on to their friends. And the results were surprising. People preferred the email articles that had a positive rather than a negative theme. They also liked longer articles on more challenging topics. But most of all, readers wanted to share articles that inspired awe. That caused you to marvel. They liked sending articles that conveyed a feeling of admiration and elevation in the face of something greater than the self. People forwarded articles that caused their friends to view the world in a different way. That forced the opening and the broadening of the mind. One of the sociologists who worked on the study, Dr. Jonah Berger, he writes, Awe is quite a strong emotion. If I've just read this story that challenges the way I understand the world and myself, I want to talk to others about what it means. I want to proselytize and share the feeling of awe. Hey, this is what motivated the shepherds. Here's why they forwarded on the news about Jesus. Something so tremendous, something so enlightening had invaded their world. With a Savior, life is now a whole new ball game. The shepherds now thought differently. No matter how dark their world would become, they had seen a bright light. People long for something greater than themselves. They travel all around the world just to feel this sense of transcendence. I think this is why the most interesting man commercials have become so popular. Yes, they're funny and they're clever, but they resonate with a deep down desire that all humans share. We all want an interesting life. But after the novelty wears off, even the most exciting ventures end up boringly similar. You see, most people get numbed by life's sameness. Even people with money and courage to go places and take dares and seek adventure, it doesn't take long for them to get discouraged with the predictability of life. Though the cast and the scenery and the storyline might change, the plot remains the same. We're born, we go to school, we work, we spend our entire adult life carving out a living for our family. Life gets punctuated by a few moments of pleasure and a whole lot of suffering. And then we die. Hey, color that story however you like. But that's the trajectory that every life travels, including yours, including mine. The actor in The Most Interesting Man adds, was obviously styled after the famed author and the first Renaissance man, Ernest Hemingway. Hemingway was a war hero. He was a ladies' man. He hung out in Paris with pals like Picasso. He spent his winters in the Caribbean fishing for marlin, summers in Idaho. He hunted deer and bear in Wyoming. He attended bullfights in Spain. Who lived a more charmed and interesting life than Hemingway? Yet he spent his last year suffering from liver disease caused by a lifetime of alcohol abuse. He was tormented by fits of depression and paranoia. And sadly, in 1961... Hemingway ended his life by taking his favorite shotgun and sticking its barrel in his mouth and blowing his brains out. How could a man who had lived such an interesting life die such a tragic death? You see, it's because the most interesting life is not interesting enough. If your life doesn't touch something greater than yourself... 
if it doesn't rise above the predictability that surrounds us, if it's just the same old, same old, then what's the point? It's rewarmed emptiness. And in the end, that's just not worth the effort. You see, the only answer for the human heart is transcendence. Something other, something otherworldly that gives this life meaning. The storyline of your life needs a new twist to rescue it from a tragic conclusion. But this is why God made Christmas. The whole idea of Christmas is so unique and different. Christmas is awe-inspiring on every level. That's why we read the nativity narrative year after year and we sing the same carols and we put up the same old decorations that we pull out of the basement and we walk through the same traditions and it never gets old. Why? Because Christmas is always new. The spirit of Christmas is new and pure as a freshly fallen snow. When you ponder the themes that God weaves together in the Christmas story, it takes your breath away. It causes all men to marvel. Heaven invades earth. Time intersects with eternity. God becomes a man. Sin gets arrested by salvation. Joy comes through pain. Christmas changes our thinking forever. It enlarges our mind. It swells our hearts. It elevates us. Christmas introduces us to the most interesting man in the world. You see, at Christmas, heaven met earth. Christmas Christmas reminds us that God is not way up there and we're way down here. No grassy hills in the halls of heaven paralleled that night. A cold night and the glory of God collided. The orbits of heaven and earth coincided. Outside Bethlehem, heaven scraped the pavement. And it still does. Christmas teaches us that Jesus is never far from where you live. If he came to a Bethlehem manger, then he'll come to live in your life. At Christmas, eternity intersects time. It proves that time is on our side. You see, God is eternal. He dwells outside of time. But at Christmas, God confined himself to a dot. Jesus joined our dot on the timeline. The author of history, the God of the future, is here today. Jesus is not then or when. Jesus is now. Jesus not only came at Christmas, but he can be born into your heart tonight. And at Christmas, God became man. Hey, if you're looking for a world's most interesting man, it's hard to top the God-man. The Spirit of God overshadowed the womb of a virgin. Jesus was God with a liver. And with calloused hands and feet that got sore, he was truly and fully human. Which means Jesus understands our temptations and our problems and our logic as flawed as it is. And our fears as unrational as they are. Yes, he ascended to heaven, but he is never far away. Jesus is one of us. And at that first Christmas, salvation arrested sin. It was as if God dropped a chlorine tablet into the cesspool. Salvation was dropped into our mess. And it has been spreading and metastasizing ever since. 
Now with every sinful generation, Jesus comes again and he purifies minds and he delivers addicts and he opens eyes and he heals wounds. This is why the angel called him Savior. No man, not even you, is beyond the reach of his salvation. And at Christmas, joy comes through pain. Oh, we sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. But in the throes of labor, I'll bet you Mary sang a different tune. She sang in the key of grunt. And she harmonized with groan. Labor pangs was the curse of the original sin. But now God brings joy to the world through Mary's pain. And this is what all Christians learn. There may be nights of sorrow, but joy comes in the morning. God redeems and God restores. Even on dark nights and in mean streets, hope is never exhausted. Hey, He can even redeem your lost years and your broken relationships. You see, Christmas is a time to marvel. To be awed and amazed by the most interesting man in the world. I hope this Christmas you'll let Jesus lift your life above the mundane. I hope you'll leave behind the predictability and the boredom. I hope you'll let Jesus discombobulate you and rattle your world. I hope you'll let him show you what life was meant to be. A life on earth but in touch with heaven. An eternal life that starts today. A life with a God who is one of us. A life cleansed from sin. A life of joy redeemed through pain. Jesus, Jesus is the most interesting man in the world. Stay thirsty for him. Father, we thank you for your love for us. And we thank you for your son, Jesus. And we are always awed by him. We marvel when we consider his greatness and his glory. And yet he has designs on us. He cares about us. He wants to work in our hearts. He wants to be born again in our lives. And he wants us to be born again in him. Lord, I pray for the heart here tonight. And I'm sure there's one. I pray for the heart here tonight who doesn't know you. The heart here tonight that is as cold and as hard as that hewn out stone in that stable in Bethlehem. That stone manger where a little bit of hay was thrown in it and and then Jesus was laid in that hewn out rock of stone. Lord, their heart's here just like that. But if Jesus was placed in that kind of a manger, he'll find his home in our hearts too. He'll come into a stony heart, a hard heart, a cold heart. Jesus is not intimidated if we'll invite him. Jesus will come into that kind of a heart tonight and bring his warmth and bring his love, bring his peace, bring his forgiveness. I pray if there's somebody here tonight, Lord, who doesn't know you, in in the privacy of this moment, in the sanctuary of their heart, I pray that they'll reach out to you, that they'll ask you, to come into their life today, to be their Lord, to be their Savior. We love you, Lord. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for this time of year. We pray you'll work your wonders in our lives again. Lord, that you'll reconcile broken relationships and redeem lost years. And and even during this Christmas time, Lord, you'll fill our minds and hearts with hope. 
You'll, you'll bring us above the mundane and the same old, same old, and you'll help us to recognize that there is a Savior in the world and in our lives, and He wants to make a difference for eternity. We thank you for that hope. We thank you for this night. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.